Hello everyone and welcome to this Nintendo Live. This is episode 67. My name is NBZ. I'm the host here of this damn show. Uh, it's my damn show, as Garnet Lee would say. And I'm joined by my damn co-host and his name is Bali. Bali, how are you doing today? Hi NBZ. Been playing games that actually came out this year from Nintendo. It's this weird phenomenon. No no backlogs in sight this week, Bali. Not this week. No, it's uh, it's uh, been uh, a bunch of new things, uh, something that you've been getting to a little late, but is definitely good to be hearing from you, and uh, obviously Fire Emblem Week, of course, so uh, a lot of things to talk about, Bali. For Europe. For Europe, yes, of course. Um, so, Bali, why don't you lay out the, uh, the show for us today and tell people what we're going to be chatting about. We're going to be talking about some brand new spanking new games we've been playing. We've got some emails. And then for our third segment, seeing as this E3, we know, we know, we know that we're going to get some Zelda NX and Zelda Wii U news and footage and hopefully a trailer and a reveal, some details. So we're going to go back and watch... We'll talk about the last time Zelda on the home console was demoed at E3 and that was of course 2010 with Skyward Sword so we're going to talk about that we've both watched the the E3 press conference from 2010 where it was revealed and we've got a few things to say about it yeah we uh, also recorded that so if you want to watch us live reacting to uh, you know an old press conference it's a feature on my channel called E3 Rewind that will be up on our Twitter feed um, so you can go follow us at TNL Podcast, and you should find the link there if you don't know all my YouTube stuff. Um, so, Bali, before we uh, get into you know the yesteryear of Zelda, we have some new video games to talk about, and I've been hearing that you've been uh, you know flying about the Lilac system. So why don't you give us uh, oh, a check yes. in with the brand new Star Fox game? So Star Fox Zero, the most controversial game of the year, arguably, so far. Arguably, yeah. It's, it's pretty... It's pretty divisive, Pretty I divisive. A lot of people have a lot of bad stuff to say about this game. Um, I've got a couple of bad things to say, but in general, I think this is a pretty sweet game. Um, so the side of history you fall down on, Bally, is the positive end of Star Fox Zero. I'm definitely closer to the Greg Leahy, uh, Guillaume side of the argument than the James Jones side um, for my fan, let's just say. Uh, I mean, in general, I think presentation-wise, it's a really crisp, clean-looking game. Um, I kn- it. I mean, there are better-looking Wii U games, but I think in general the worlds look quite nice and quite. quite Do you clean. think that that's the frame rate kind of doing the job for you, though? Because I find like some of the time, if a game doesn't necessarily have the greatest of textures or doesn't look that like that great, like in terms of detail, I think that frame rate helps to like smooth yes. it over. I definitely do think frame rate saves parts of that you're right um and talking of frame rate i would actually have to admit that when there's a lot of explosions and things going on and when there's a lot of stuff happening on the screen sometimes the frame rate can drop yeah um and it's not it's never to a degree where i'm like oh god what's going on like it's it's always just a bit a bit slower like it's something that you would probably find a lot more irritating than i do personally just because that's how we play games but i just think it, it 
it in general does look really nice. I imagine that's part of the reason why it's not that detailed then is because they wanted to maintain 60 like most of the time and even if it is dropping now like can you imagine if it was this really gorgeous looking game and then it wasn't even running like at a solid 30 and was dropping yeah, exactly. and then chugging horribly like that would have been way worse and you know all these people saying oh it looks like an N64 game it looks terrible I think the fact that it has that clean smoothness to it helps to justify yeah. it as looking much better and i will say like when we played this at the hyper japan event last year i was really struck at how good it actually did look in motion because yeah. when we watched it e3 it wasn't impressing me at all and you do really have to see it like at 60 on a tv definitely screen. definitely um let's get to the controls this is the most you know this is the part that divides fans the most yeah absolutely because um, as much as this game looks like star fox 64 it handles nothing like Star Fox 64 almost in any way whatsoever um, so this is my theory about why a lot of people have come down pretty hard on these controls so try and put yourself into a world where every single game you play is using motion controls every single game from when we were younger and we'd play games right up till now I'd say every game every flying game we played every shooter we played we always used motion controls and then suddenly a Imagine a game came along in 2016 and they said, hey, actually, here's some analog sticks. Why don't you try and play a shooter with some analog sticks? I think that the media in general would be like, oh, it feels horrible. Oh, God, it feels different. I can't handle it. It's not, it doesn't handle well. This is horrible. And I honestly think that's how a lot of people have reacted to this game. It's incredibly mm. different. It's incredibly difficult to get used to. I'm not going to deny that. But I just think that ultimately... It's just a different way to play. And I sound like a marketing guru. But yeah, that, that's but, like Nintendo's new slogan almost, you know? But ultimately, honestly, I think it is difficult to get into. But once you you get there and you, like, no one... like When you first pick up a game and it's got a new, a new control system, it's always a bit difficult. And I honestly think, like, imagine a world where, like I said, you played motion controls your whole life and then switched mm. to analog sticks. It would be really difficult. And I just think that's what this game that's the uphill battle this game faces and that's not to say it's bad it's, it's kind of the analogy that you can use with like a lot of pc players uh the co-optional podcast in particular that's full of you know total biscuit dodger and all these people who play on pc and they always talk about going from playing shooters on pc to playing on console about how they're so incompetent with analog sticks and they find it incredibly mm. difficult i feel that that's like maybe another uh, analogy that you could use here is like is going yeah, from definitely. the PC to the to the controller, and it just feels nothing like, and it feels nothing like anything Nintendo's ever done. Really, it it feels distinctly different from analog sticks, and that, on top of that, it feels distinctly different from using like a nunchuck and a Wiimote. It really does feel unique, um, and. I think that this control style benefits the... I should get onto the camera as well, but I think the control style benefits the the um, free-flying areas. I've forgotten. Open range mode, that's what it's called, I think. All so, range. All, all range. range. Yeah. It benefits those areas a bit more. I think the on-rails parts, they're great, but I, I think that they don't feel quite as different as the all range mode parts. Um, and there's definitely fewer... Um, on rails missions in this game which I actually like and I think it works well for this game um, camera the camera in this game is glorious it's absolutely incredible um, specifically in all range mode it's very simple so 
if you don't know the controls, on the gamepad, you're looking from cockpit view, and on the TV screen, you're looking at a third-person view, but you also have a shooting reticle. The motion control controls the shooting reticle, and your analog sticks control the flight of the R-Wing. But when you're locked on with ZL, the, the camera lines up the R-Wing with... It's a bit like um, L-targeting, but in flying 3D space. So the the camera lines up the R-Wing with the enemy, but the downside is that the shooting reticle vanishes on the top screen. Obviously, on the bottom screen, nothing changes. So what you end up doing, and I think this is quite fun actually is you end up lining up you end up looking at the top screen to line up then you look at the bottom screen if you want to shoot but if you don't want to shoot and look at the bottom screen all you have to do is line up using the top screen and that unique camera angle release zl and the second you release zl your shooting reticle comes back and you you can start aiming and i just think it's a really intuitive unique way to play a space shooter that works incredibly well and it's so great in dogfights and no matter how many you know great star wars games factor 5 released um the dogfights like in multiplayer it's just really difficult to find where your opponent is, and you never know which move to use to try and get your opponent in front of you to shoot them. Uh, and this game just makes it so easy. It was my biggest complaint about Star Fox 64, is in those open or range areas, I just, I'm really bad at, like, trying to slow down and turn and find, like, you see on the radar all these people floating about, but I'm like, how do I reorient myself? I've got to do the loop-de-loop and flip around, and I don't, I can never get a good sense of, like, having them in front of me, aiming at them, and then all of a sudden they're out of my vision again, so I have to do the same thing and slow down and turn. It's mm. just a laborious process, and what you seem to be saying is that they basically eliminated that as an issue, and it's become a much more integral and much more interesting part of Star Fox. Yeah, it, and it's great, and it, it's, it looks incredibly cinematic at the same time, and you can actually see, like, the cockpit, and you can see Star Fox sitting in the cockpit flying, like, around, and he, like, even animates and looks around and stuff, and, like, there are a couple of missions where you, like, play as Peppy, you can actually see Peppy in the cockpit just, like, flying towards you, and there's some really incredible boss fights uh, against some much larger bosses, not just the dog fights, where... It's really important just to be aware of what's going on because the weapons they're firing at you uh, can come out of nowhere and you really do have to be aware of what is going on. Uh, it, it, it's really cool and it, I think combined with the motion controls, it's, it's incredibly unique and nothing like anything I've ever played. Um, I think that maybe the linear, more corridor-based levels suffer though, don't they? Because you have this free motion and the ability to aim but then the problem becomes oh i'm just bashing into stuff because i have to go forward constantly and i think that might be like where the trade-off comes is like okay we have this control scheme that works wonderfully for this um type of game mode that has in the past not been that great but it maybe unfortunately impacts the traditional Star Fox stuff in a way that is a bit too negative i don't know maybe yeah, that's why people I mean, are reacting badly to it because I, that's what they like is those uh, on rails levels. exactly i would argue the only reason on rail levels are in this game is because how much fans liked those levels in 64 and they were right. great in 64 and i i definitely think they're slightly weaker in this game and you're right it's partly to do with that you're always moving forward um the whole ZL thing I was just talking about obviously doesn't even work in all range mode. It does the button does nothing. Yeah. Um and it's 
it's just it's just different. But I I think it's good that they didn't put in too many um, on rail levels in this game. Like it, 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 that was a really good decision. Um, another bad thing that's just not great, not much fun, really slow. Um, is a gyrocopter. Now, yeah. to my knowledge, and I've played all the levels in this game bar four, and there's only one gyrocopter level uh, that I've played. And it's just a bit slow. It's a bit dull. Um, it's very simplistic. Uh, it's not too exciting. But I can get over that personally because I think the other, the other transformations really make up for it. I think the chicken walker, which is used a lot in this game, um, is really, really great. It feels... It really does feel like a walker, and that that maybe doesn't make sense. But when when you're playing it, you do do you feel like you're bobbing up and down a bit, like you are running. Um, and the chicken walker is used on many of the bosses that are the R wing. So obviously the R wing transforms into the chicken walker. There are many bosses, including the final boss, um, where you are having to swap between the two. And there's often corridors that you can run down inside of bosses and shoot like a central core. Or sometimes there's just there's like a ship, a large ship, and you have to land the chicken walker on the ship in order to shoot enemies on the on the ship surface and then fly again and it just feels quite exciting like that transformation and all that like it, it it's a real good point of this game i would say do you feel like the walker was um i know it's a holdover from star fox 2 but maybe it's like this way for them to get those on foot sections into the game in a much more fluid way in the sense that if you're on foot in Star Fox Assault, like you have to go and run to a vehicle to get back into it. Like, but whereas the walker is the vehicle itself, yes. so you're on foot and you can instantly move from sky to land very smoothly. Yeah, I never really thought of it like that, but you're absolutely right. It's 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 like being on foot, but very slick and thematic the way that it transforms, and it's just really cool. Um, I wasn't a fan of this in '64, and they've basically kept it in this game. For, uh, and that's obviously the branching paths. And right. I, I, and I'm, I don't like hidden exits. I've said that about 2D platformers. It's the same in this game. There's a few other games that have it. I'm just, hidden exits I don't care for. I just want a, one linear path. I want a set of levels. And I want to play through those levels. Uh, this And the branching paths in this are slightly different to 64. Where I think in this game, I'm pretty sure there's only one proper path. But basically, there are alternate paths, but they're considered like almost B routes. And there is actually like an A route that's the main route, as far as I'm aware. Say you want to get those other levels. Do you have to start from the beginning for all of these runs? Or can you jump into levels that you've been to before and try and unlock paths from there? Because I think that's something that really annoyed me about... 64 was hey maybe i want to try these other levels but i kind of have to start from the beginning every time so this game almost merged two modes from 64 into one mode Uh, so the main game in zero is basically the main game of 64 merged with i can't even remember what the mode like arcade mode or something see I want to say arcade mode, but there is another mode in this game called arcade mode that oh, I can explain okay. in a second. But right. it's basically a mode where which allows you to pick any level individually. They basically okay. merge the two. So anytime you pick main game, once you've completed the game, you can replay any level you want. 
And within those levels, obviously, there are alternate routes that you can right, access. Right, okay. So then you just you. go back into main game anytime you want. Um, and that's cool. Uh, that works because the arcade mode in this game is almost the original hardcore. Like uh, It's like a hardcore version of the main game from 64. Sorry, this is incredibly right. complicated. Okay. <laughs> um, but the arcade mode in this game, as far as I'm aware, you get one life. Wow. Um, and you just basically play for as long and go as far as you can. Oh, boy. And you get, like, a score. And that's, That sounds like that's my arcade. least favorite thing in the world. It's basically a roguelike for Star Fox. But, and that, ro- saying roguelike is a very good term for Star Fox, because like 64, this is a pretty short game. It's actually longer, in my opinion. This took me maybe four and a half, four hours to beat. Um, now, I did fail a lot. This is a very hard game at points. Um, it does take a lot of getting used to, like I've said about the controls. Uh, but ultimately, it's still, you know, 15... 20 odd levels i believe it's not many um and it does emphasize you know high scores and replayability and trying to beat your high scores uh like you know like or like 64 sure yeah. and that's another issue and they talked about this on rfn where it's just crazy that there's not online leaderboards and here's the thing they don't even have to do online leaderboards. They just really should do something, and you've not played it yet, but Pikmin 3 has a great uh, system that's similar to Mario Kart where you get these bar charts that basically show you how many people, out of the people who have played a level, what time or score they got. So it's, it shows you, it bunches you with, it shows you how well you've done in relation to the rest of the people who have played the level. They they just should have had something like that implemented into this game because it feels like you're just playing against... It's like an arcade machine in your home. You're just literally playing against yourself again and again. Yeah. And it's not great. And I like I will... I want to try and think about, you know, 10 to 15 at least hours into this and replay a few missions. And, like, it is really fun just to maybe replay the game, put on a podcast, fly through some levels, beat some bosses because it is just really, really fun to play. Um but I, I do like a high score every now and then, and it's just something they, they should have done. Yeah, it's definitely a thing which hooks people to keep going and to, like, best everyone on their friends list. That's part of the reason I played so much of Bitrip Runner 2 was before every level, it shows you, okay, here are the top five people on your friends list. And every time I was like, okay, I need to, like, do as many dances while I'm doing this level, make sure I don't mess up at all. Like, I want to jump over the mid-gate checkpoint, you know, get all the points I can and make sure I have the bullseye at the end. Like, all that stuff contributed to me going back to that game again and again despite having like just beaten the campaign in and of itself exactly and like it's this game does have replay value it could have had more um yeah. i must also say there's an incredible tribute to iwata at the end of this game um i won't get into details of what it is it's not it's not too big but it's, it's a nice touch and i really it was something i didn't know about and it was pretty cool yeah um, that's, that's nice to see for sure i Want to play more of this game, but overall, I, I think it just, it's a, it's, I prefer it a lot more to Star Fox 64. Do you think you I, need to be a certain type of person to enjoy this? Yes. Because I know you, Bally, yes. I know you're the kind of guy who, like, goes in there, grabs a new control scheme by the horns and wants to tackle it to the ground, you know? Like, you're the person yeah. who will want and want to conquer something like that. Do you think yeah. that the faint of heart may not have as great a time with this because of that reason? I think you do need two things, you need two things to play this game, which I'll 
without blowing my own horn, I believe I have. So one, I believe you do have to know your way around space shooters uh, to some degree, whether that's Star Fox 64 or like I've played quite a few Star Wars space shooters or something else. Like you do need to know techniques, just very basic techniques. I don't know how to explain them, but just breaking to maximize your shots onto a boss or, you know, working out where enemies are behind you and that sort of thing. It helps to have a general experience in that. Secondly, you do have to be incredibly open-minded to, you know, new control systems and maybe we can get into this when we talk about fates in a second Mm. but we do definitely need to be prepared to accept that this doesn't play like 64 almost at all if you want more star fox 64 you're going to hate this game um but if you're wanting the the characters and the you know aesthetic of star fox 64 with a new different control scheme that definitely does take getting used to like i've said if you've got that open-mindedness and you do like a bit of a space shooter, I think this is a, an unbelievably great game. Um, and like I said, the only big downside I can see is pretty much a gyrocopter. And that only takes like 20 minutes. So I wouldn't, I'm not going to hold that against this game because I think this is a really great game. And I'm really pleased I did pick it up. Um, and I'd highly recommend it if you to anyone who can get close to those two criteria that I've... <laughs> I've, um, I've outlined but yeah a game shouldn't have to have criteria that might be the downside of this game but highly recommend it um i'm going to maybe mention it again next week when i've sunk a few more hours in but yeah star fox zero i've also been playing some birthright which you i know have. you're gonna you're gonna take the lead on this one mbz but i'm yeah. only up to chapter seven i think okay. you've, you've played a little bit more than i have oh just a little bit you just know. a little bit might have just beaten the game that's all um Okay, Bally, let's talk about Fire Emblem. Let's it's do time, this! It's time to talk about Fire Emblem Fates, a game I've been waiting for for an incredibly long time, and finally released in Europe. So, I have very deep thoughts on this game, which you can probably go into detail if you watch my uh, Let's Play of uh, Fire Emblem Six The Binding Blade, the last episode, last couple of episodes I've done, I've gone very deep into things that have irked me about Fates. Um, I think the one thing to keep in mind is the reason Fates is probably not hitting me as hard as I thought it might, is it is very much Awakening 2.0. In the sense that when Awakening came out, it was this brand new visual style, um, it was on 3DS for the first time, it had these new mechanics that were cool and interesting, though it took a little bit of time for me to warm up to them. Um, And overall, like, introduced so many aspects that were very very like fresh and as a result like awakening stood out a huge amount birthright feels like it's doing more of that and then it made changes that pissed me off as a fire emblem fan in the mechanics department and so as as a result like it looks gorgeous i think it looks better than awakening it is absolutely Mm. stunning uh the cg cutscenes are fantastic like all that stuff presentationally it is on another level like it is kind of astounding that it's on 3ds uh, um, still at this point in time and though that stuff is great i am very annoyed by other stuff so that kind of clouds it to a degree Um, mechanics yeah so let's talk about weapon triangle right so the weapon triangle in this game they fudge together it feels like okay so you know the tactician class from awakening how they can use a sword and a tome yes so 
that is one of the matchmaking things that has happened in the weapon triangle where instead of just being a separate sword axe lance you now have sword and tome and then you have axe and bow together and then you have lance and the new hidden weapon class uh and this is i think this is particular to birthright because i'm not sure that the ninjas and the hidden weapon stuff are actually in conquest for your own characters i'm sure you fight against them because you what do you mean by hidden weapon have i not got here no you have so you know your ninja class kaze yes so the weapon that he uses is a shuriken and uh, it's the same as um your butler you use jacob right because you're a female throwing knives yes right so those are both of the same weapon type uh which is called the hidden weapon um, so shurikens and that are lumped in with lances in this new weapon triangle. Mm-hmm. So the way that it annoys me is because they're all smudged together, it creates these scenarios that make zero sense in my Fire Emblem brain. For example, why can archers utterly destroy generals and knights? Because in every other game, they've done like one damage or zero damage every time you engage an enemy, and it seems ridiculous that they have that sort of power. Number two, why is it that when an archer fires against a magician, they have a lower hit rate? Because, oh, this new triangle decides to put that into... Like, basically, all these different things in the context of the old classes that I know and love, break my brain. And it doesn't make sense, like, from a law perspective or from a mechanics perspective. And it annoys me because it puts me in situations where, because I'm so familiar with Fire Emblem, I think that something's going to work out in my favor. And then, wait a second, oh no, I left a bow person, and now because a lance person is... Or, sorry, because... um. A sword person has the advantage on bows. Like, usually, if a swordsman attacks an archer, they're going to dodge if they have high evasion. But because of the way the weapon triangle works, if I leave an archer in the way of someone who uses swords now, I'm probably going to get hit because they have an advantage for God knows what reason. And that mashing together, I think, was an attempt to simplify. But as a result, it's kind of alienated me. And I understand people are saying, oh, it's all color-coded. But if it's color-coded, then I just think of the colors, right? And you're telling me, oh, it's like Pokemon, you know, fire beats, water beats, grass. Mm. But the problem is, if I think that way, then I'm only thinking about the colors and I'm not thinking about the weapons themselves. And because there are two weapons per category, it just gets muddled in my brain. And I talk about this in in the episode of uh, Binding Blade I did, but I would love it if it was two separate triangles, independent of one another, but you still retained things like archers destroying Pegasus knights and generals and knights being weak to magic with having low resistance. Like, that stuff should stay intact and having them separate, basically. I I almost think they put this in to make it simpler and more accessible. Yes, I think you're right, but I think in the face of that they have alienated people like me who don't get the new thing right like it's very much an accessibility thing for fresh players but as a veteran player it just doesn't make any logical sense like it's a thing that i can get used to but it just annoys me it's just one of those kind of thorns in my side i'm like it's just i don't i wish it was different you know um and i think Mm. like maybe you're talking about star fox before it's like people like i wish i just played with uh, analog controls it's like i just wish (laughs) the weapon triangle made more sense in my brain do you think that's a fair comparison like someone wanting star fox zero with analog controls versus you know someone wanting fates with the original weapons triangle i mean it's a much bigger deal for Star Fox because the whole game is predicated on that but um i guess <laughs> um, you, you know it's it's similar enough um 
Yeah, and then, okay, so the the thing which has annoyed me the most, and the thing which I think is ridiculous and stupid, is the way that the weapons work in this game. So the weapons have no longer uh, got a limited use to them. So in the past, you know, you have however many uses, and then the weapon gets destroyed and goes away. In this game, they have unlimited uses, and as a result, you have some drawbacks to every weapon. The problem is, as you go up the weapon tree and you get better and better weapons, like you go from iron to steel to silver, the weapons get progressively worse in terms of the stuff they do to you when you use them. So, for example, you use a steel weapon and your speed is, like, reduced, like, dramatically to the point where you can't double anyone and it would make more sense for you to use a weaker weapon because you get two hits in anyway, right? Mm. And that's happened before in Fire Emblem games, but the extent to which it is implemented here is so drastic and ridiculous that it makes no reason... Like, it gives you zero reason to use those higher-tiered weapons. At this point in time... Um, my ninja Kaze, uh, who you've met and you've used at, at this point, um, is way more useful with a forged iron weapon than a silver weapon. So the forging is a whole different thing where you have to take two weapons and put them together and there's all these resources that you throw into the smithy and he makes you a new weapon. So I have a plus four iron shuriken. That plus four iron shuriken is just as powerful as a silver shuriken, but it has zero of the drawbacks. In fact, it has benefits to it because of like the, the base nature of, of what that weapon does. And so it makes it so that all these weapons that you can buy and get just become completely useless. Like, why would I ever use a silver shuriken if I can forge something that is better for this character anyway? And it just, it makes it so that I don't care about a lot of these um, things that you get as rewards. Like, oh, you, this enemy dropped this. It's like, well, fucking, I'm never going to use that because you go into battle, you use the silver sword, let's say, and then the next turn, because you have all these stat drops, like you lower your resistance, you lower your defense just for using the damn weapon, the next turn, the enemy is going to be able to run in there and just slaughter you because all your stats are lowered. And there's no way after you've attacked someone to change your weapon unless of course you're doing an advanced tactic like standing someone else next to them and using the trade mechanic to influence their equipped weapon to change it at the top which is something that like if you're an in-depth fire emblem fan you would know to do but god damn it why the fuck why do you do that to this game it just has i i get it they needed to add something to make it so that having weapons forever wasn't an overpowered thing but this seems like a step too far and it is the one thing that annoys me the most about this game um and i know you're not far enough to experience that yet but yeah i'm I'm trying to put myself in your position and like obviously you've played far more fire emblem games than i have um i've played two to completion and i've dabbled in sacred stones um and I'm just trying to think, if, imagine if, and I, to be honest, I've actually played more Fire Emblem than Advance Wars, but imagine yeah, yeah. imagine I'd played all the Advance Wars. Um, I do plan on playing a couple more, um, hopefully this year. But if I, and I know for a fact that they use a very, very regimented system that barely changes, and the, obviously they add in a couple of things. But if they definitely, I can imagine myself if they suddenly said, okay, here's the 3DS Advance Wars, um, Here's a new system. We're going to take away the old system. Here's the new system. Yeah, I, I can definitely see myself uh, coming up against that and thinking, "Ugh, I just wish they'd, you know, stuck with the old system." Um, so, but my experience of this system so far is 
it's different. It feels different. And I mean, one thing you've not mentioned yet is just now similar to Awakening in the way that you could get bonus attacks from your sort of um, allies next to you. Now your enemies also get bonus attacks. Yes. And I, I found, like I said, I'm only up to chapter seven, but I, I almost died on quite a few characters and I'm playing on normal classic. So I was quite relieved that they survived because I was going to restart the level. But yeah. It just feels like you, there's a lot more layers to think about um, beyond even the weapons triangle or anything. There's a lot more um, strategic placement of units, uh, far more so, especially in Awakening, where, like you've mentioned, and I agree with you on uh, on the show that you know your your units can become complete tanks, and you, yeah. you know, once you once you're paired up, you're pretty invincible. And I. I am. I'm actually willing to give the, this new pairing system, you know, the benefit benefit of the doubt. And I, they really, you can tell they've really tried just to make it not overpowered. And there is more to think about. But I'm hoping that after a few more chapters playing in this system, that by the time I'm on the hot, later tougher chapters, I'll have adapted and gotten my head around how it works and benefited from it. Because I mean, so far it's not given me problems, but um, I am I am enjoying it. Like I think it's great and it it is different. I'm not going to deny that, but so far it is growing on me. And of course, you know, you love the aesthetics of things like this. It's, has played yeah. a, Awakening like dampened that like it has for me? Do you think? Uh, as in, like, oh my god, here's a CGI 3D fire. Yeah. Um, no, because I do think that there is a step up. And a big criticism of mine for, about Awakening was the lack of how scarce those incredible cutscenes were and it does feel initially like I'm, I'm more engaged with this story than I was at the start of Awakening um, I, I found the first five six hours of Awakening quite a slog and that wasn't just um, you know it being a new Fire Emblem game it was the systems of that game and pairing were quite tricky it's it's really weird i'm actually finding this a smoother game to get into than i did awakening yeah. um having played like i said fire emblem seven and sacred stones which have like, identical systems i found the pairing system of awakening harder to get into but once i was into it obviously i loved it um but this game so far fate's birthright is it's it's incremental and it, i feel like they're getting better at creating fire emblem games for beginners and yeah. I'm not saying I'm a, I'm a beginner, but I, I, you know me, I love a tutorial. I love sure. a, I love a, a, a slow and easy um, ramp up in difficulty. And, I'm, and so far, I'm getting that with Birthright, uh, which I'm liking. Yeah, no, I, I understand where you're coming from. I think like your comment about making a Fire Emblem for beginners is like what makes me annoyed about it you know yeah because like, i'm not a beginner yeah um, but i do think that this game is definitely much which more challenging is, which is why you played on um hard classic right yeah that was a smart move <laughs> if you want to hear that story definitely go listen to the video um but uh so where i come down on it is it is definitely a more challenging game than awakening and i I, the reason I really liked Awakening is because you could be God, like, that pair-up system was so ridiculously overpowered. But then there's no just... strategy. No, I know, but that, like, that was a power trip that I really enjoyed. Yeah. Whatever it may be, like, it, it was a different thing, it was a different sort of Fire Emblem game. And this one, definitely, you feel more fragile, you feel, um, like, much more vulnerable. And yeah. as a result, like, 
the situations where you have to stand uh, um units next to one another to get the extra damage they never feel like it's really worth doing because you don't get defensive benefits from it and so you really get punished hard for enemies going at your units it's it's proper glass cannon formation like yes. you do you're like i have to kill i have to wipe out everyone right now or i'm gonna get screwed because i'm right, exactly open. um and yeah you're right if, if you know that there's going to be some enemies in your vicinity at the end of the turn it's 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 very reckless to, to be in that position it's much better at doubling up you're right yeah and i think part of the reason i was not enjoying that system to start with was i hadn't decided on who i was going to pair together and so all the support conversations i was getting were all really random like this person and this person and that person who i didn't want to go with that but like all these like weird things were happening so i was like c rank with this person b rank with that person and there wasn't this kind of unity to it which that's what i liked about awakening was deciding you and you are going to go together and make a child and you and you and you and you and like figuring out who these pairings were going to be and then every battle you would start out and say okay i need to pair up these two and these two and these two and these two and off they go and they all work really well together and again like i get to kind of chapter 13 14 15 in this game and I decide, you know what, I'm going to try and do that now. I'm going to try and play it as if it was Awakening. And it made it so much more playable because the pair-up system in this game, though not as powerful because you don't have you know, you know your um, partner coming in for an extra attack, on the defensive end is so much more reliable because your um, units have the ability to jump in front of them and take zero damage and that may be a thing that happens here and there but it is so crucial uh, when you're facing off against a bunch of enemies who are kind of rushing you and you need to have some kind of wall and that is the only way to create a wall in this game is to pair people up on their own they really are glass cannons like you said like there are not very good defensive characters in this game and so my tradition of like taking the knight and sticking him at a choke point and then having the mage kind of ping from behind doesn't work unless you're paired up with people Hmm. and once i did that once i got into just playing it like awakening and having to think a little bit more and not just charge in there and like play it more like say a fire emblem 7 or a path of radiance then it clicked and then i was like okay i'm enjoying myself now i get this system i know what i need to do and there are some units who i think are powerful enough to be on their own units like your own like corin on their own can do really good damage and standing next to someone really helps with uh you know taking people out who have large amounts of hp felicia for felicia god damn it um is fucking awesome oh my god you you have jacob because you chose the female um corin uh, but the butler slash maid class is so, so good because not only do you have the healing and in Birthright, the healing staves are ranged, which means that you can be at a diagonal or one space away from someone and these festal staves will heal you uh, instead of you know the heal wand being right next to a unit. So you can t- be a distance from people to heal them. You have the dagger weapon, which again adds this extra layer, which is when you use the dagger it lowers an enemy's stats and so that plays into like like okay this attack on its own is only going to do like maybe three damage but it will lower the defense of the enemy so that my sword guy can come in and kill it in one hit as opposed to not being able to take them out and at first i was a little like 
you know, step backish on like, oh, now they're adding kind of stat debuffs into Fire Emblem. But the further I get on and the further I got like really cool weapons, like Felicia gets a uh, weapon called the Flame Shuriken, which is like, it makes her god mode against mages because um, she has huge resistance. So she'll take zero damage from them. And because the Shuriken is a physical weapon, but it uses her magic stat, it basically does physical damage from her magic um uh amount of things she has her stat um and as a result she just becomes a wrecking crew like just tears through every magic unit possible and is unstoppable and uh then kaze later on gets like a shuriken that can attack from three spaces away so you have room to like okay i want a chip here to get the stats lowered then i can bring in someone with an archer to do that and then i can bring someone in straight away to do that like whereas usually on a boss for example you'd have to have just one person who's like one space away and then one person who's standing right next to them so you can never get that third attack in unless you have something like a longbow um and that really helped a huge amount as well so you can tell there are things i really like about the game like i'm i'm very much invested in all the child things and getting them and doing the power logs that was great fun and grinding out support levels getting everyone to s rank uh all the my castle stuff which maybe we can talk about next time when you've played more fire emblem fates but that Mm. stuff seems i don't know it's it's kind of hit and miss it's it's not really something that's standing out to me but you kind of need to do it if you want to get those forged weapons as i said earlier on which make things much more playable um but yeah lots of flaws lots of things wrong but i think at a, at a base level it's a very good game it's a very good game i'm being overly critical because i love fire emblem and i want it to be better and things about this game really frustrate me but I think at this point, I know the mechanics well enough. I may not like them, but I know them well enough that I can, I think I can safely go into Conquest and see if, you know, the better level design there and, you know, the the higher difficulty challenges me to a point where I feel like it's more of the Fire Emblem experience that I want. And I hope it is. Um, I'm looking forward to playing Conquest. So, uh, so we'll see. Do you think you're going to finish up Conquest for next time? <laughs> oh God, no, no, definitely. This so my my plan with slow. yeah, my plan with Conquest is to just take my time with it, to enjoy it, and to like maybe play on classic and just really drill into <sighs> making sure that uh, I know what I'm doing and I can and beat these stages. That will probably fall to pieces. I'll probably be, fuck. I'm a baby. I need to go casual now. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I, I've heard it is pretty tough but that yeah. does sound like at least uh, an action plan i mean birthright is a tough game in its own right it's not really impossibly hard but it's it's difficult i think you're going to struggle with that i think you'll have problems um because it is no awakening mm. you are not like invincible tanks anymore um and i think that you know it'll be a good challenge for you actually i think the, the lack chapter? of save states and the fact that you want to play on classic definitely is going to make this a different experience for you, Bally. Uh, what chapter am I going to drop down from normal classic to normal casual? Oh dear, I don't know. Well, it was chapter 9 when I did it because um, I got critted on the boss and the map was, quite frankly, really boring and full of a bunch of just bog-standard enemies and it took mm. me ages. Um, and so I ended up just doing it then because I'm like, you know what, I just don't want this to happen. 
Um, it's inconvenient. And I, I, the thing is, Birthright, I just wanted to fucking plow through it and get it done so I can talk about it as much as possible on the show. Now with Conquest, I feel like I can take my time with it. So cool. you, you don't necessarily need to just bust your way through Birthright. So oh, I, 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 I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> no, I know you wouldn't be able to. Um, so yeah, God, that was a uh, slight rantiness. Um, but there, yeah, Fire Emblem Birthright, it's probably going to end up being the weakest of these three games. So I'm glad I got it out of the way first, and I'm looking forward to the other two. Um, lots and, of things uh, ahead. So. And for the noob, the noob take of Birthright, tune in next time. Yeah. I will hopefully have played a bit more of the game. Yeah. Um, and it won't be as much of a technical discussion, but it will yes. be a valuable discussion nonetheless. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk how, uh, about how pretty the graphics are and how cool the music yeah. is. By the way, the music's really good in this game. I think there are some standout tracks for sure. Um, and I'll probably play yeah, one some, right now. Celtic, Celtic tunes. Yeah, so let's go yeah. into the break. Let's listen to uh, some music from Fire Emblem Fates. And uh, we'll see you on the other side with some emails. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. back to the show everyone it's that time again it is time for some of your emails we've got a few lined up but before i get into those i'm going to remind everyone of the email address which of course is this nintendo life at gmail.com that is this nintendo life at gmail.com we always need more so the first email this week is from a service it's me, a service, your favourite and only competition winner here writing into my favourite of many podcasts. I thought I might give you guys some game recommendations considering Nintendo isn't giving you anything to play this year. Joking aside, I'm, a, I'm kind of relieved for the chance to make 2016 the year I conquer my backlog and I think some people should think twice about criticising Nintendo about releasing too few games and then complaining about how many games they have on their backlogs. Anyway, on to some recommendations. For MBZ, I'd recommend 999, or to give it its full title, Zero Escape Volume 1, colon, 9 hours, 9 persons, 9 doors, for the DS. The Zero Escape series is one one that is often recommended to fans of Danganronpa, and personally, I prefer the storytelling in 999 and its sequel, 
Virtue's Last Reward on 3DS and Vita, and the final installment is one of the very few games that we know of coming out for Nintendo systems between now and March 2017. So this might be a good series to go back to and play this year. For Bally, I think a nice shortish platformer is in order after your quite long RPG-focused start of the year with Xenoblade and Fire Emblem. I think I remember vaguely you having some slightly positive feelings about Donkey Kong Country Tropical Freeze. Um, Quick public service announcement, you can get Nintendo Selects Tropical Freeze for like 16 quid on Amazon right now. So how about Donkey Kong Country 2 for the SNES? This is a 2D platformer with a great aesthetic and the best level variety I've ever played. It's on Wii U Virtual Console and I think, Bally, you could get it on new 3DS, but I'm not certain. Thanks and keep up the fantastic work. All right, uh, really cool uh, that he's sending us some recommendations this year. I do want to kind of uh, hit that point that he makes that, like, of course, everyone talks. I think this is a big problem mainly just in the media about how the slate is so empty for Nintendo and they're not releasing anything. And obviously that's bad for market conditions and getting people into their ecosystem and, you know, just overall appearance to the outside world. But when you stand back and think about it, like, everyone is always complaining about how they never have time to play any games ever and there is always too many and the backlogs are always enormous and i think that's something that we embrace here on this show is the fact that we may not actually be that down in the dumps about having zero games this year because we like play loads of old stuff anyway and we have enormous backlogs so um i appreciate that being called out yeah Uh, exactly it's like one of these just sort of things that you know that when you get obsessed with E3 and the hype and what's new, the latest, the best stuff that's coming out, you kind of have to step back, you're right, and think, you know, the capitalism train is rolling pretty hard. We need to we need to slow down and make sure we're not wasting out wasting on um spending any money and actually play the stuff we've got. You know. Like like our parents used to tell us, like, why do you why do you need another game? You've not finished that one, you've already got it. It's like, Yes, Mum, I'll I'll finish my backlog and then I can get my new game exactly so uh yes i I appreciate that sentiment also appreciate because this was something that jonathan metz recently did on his uh kind of um, episode back on rfn he gave the crew members some recommendations um maybe bali you and i can give each other a couple of recommendations after we talk about these ones um but uh yeah i i definitely have been very curious about the zero escape series for a little while i first heard uh it being talked about on rfn actually james jones talked about 999 eons ago like four or five years ago and i was always curious about it and that was before i'd played danganronpa i think the one thing that puts me off 999 specifically is the lack of voice acting uh, that's something that i think danganronpa helps like drive me forward through is there is so much voice acting it's much easier to engage with the characters in the story um from that perspective and it's less of like it feels less like you're actually reading a novel and more like it's an interactive experience. I feel like 999 from the little that I've seen and, um, you know, played of it, it uh, is kind of just very text heavy. And I'm not sure how the puzzles will work out, but it is something that I'm looking to maybe check uh, eventually. I don't know. I have access to it. I just haven't, like, I've, I've booted up like twice and I've been, every time I've been like, mm, okay, I don't want to read anymore. I'm kind of like getting, it's very, 
uh, I don't know. It's very first world problems. It's like I want my things to be read out to me instead of having to engage my brain. Um, but that's how it is. I've heard, I think, that Virtue's Last Reward has voice acting. And people have said that you don't necessarily need to play 999 to play VLR. It's just like it helps with the wider story. And I guess mm. it would probably enlighten me for the third game when that comes out. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I have access to a Vita and 3DS, obviously. So I can play both these games at uh, some point eventually. Maybe it'll happen this year. I don't know. There's lots of stuff to play. Um, but yeah, I do appreciate the recommendation. And it is one that is in my mind, certainly. So uh, thanks, Service, for that. Donkey Kong Country 2. It is it is sort of a prime candidate of a game that I would down like this is the this is my vision for the show and I've, I've I've said this before but it is that glorious day when we will beat our backlogs and I can look to the eShop look to what I've not played in the past and think hey I'll pick that up I'll play it and I'll talk about it on the next show like that's an ideal situation to be in rather than delving back into your backlog if I was in that position. Donkey Kong, a game like Donkey Kong Country 2 would be really near the top of my list. I really enjoyed the first game, um, and a lot of people uh, do think that the second game in that trilogy is the best one. Um, so I completely agree, and I think it might be quite cool, quite a cool game to play on my new 3DS, uh, certainly with that new SNES emulation that they've got going on the virtual console there. So yeah, top pick. Thank you very much for that recommendation. That is a game that will be played one day, um, maybe even this year, but we'll see about how how I get through my backlog. Um, Should be interesting. Yeah, it should be. I I believe Super Nintendo games on new 3DS have save states, uh, so... It should be. They will be much on needed front. on a game like Donkey yeah, Kong Country. Definitely, definitely. Um, okay, so let's let's do a couple like um, recommendations for each other, uh, real quick. I I know you're going to tell me to play Pikmin Three, Bally. I already have it. It's sitting here. I know um, it's top of my list, so it's ideal that you have the game that's top of my list for you to try out. Uh, mine is obviously going to be Super Meat Boy. I know that you're drowning yes. in everything right now, but Super Meat Boy Bally, you have to play before 2016 is over. It is the best 2D platformer ever made. I love it to bits. It is like part of the reason why Ori and the Blind Forest is like one of my favorite games ever because that you know the whole masochistic platforming, quick deaths, quick retries, like that whole notion was built from this tree and that tree has grown many branches and there are many other games like it uh, but you need to start the source so that's what i'm going to go with for you bally cool yeah I, I think that would be quite a good game to play this year and obviously with it coming out on the nintendo platform this year we could finally argue that this could... game was supposed to come out in 2008 on the wii and it, yeah. Jesus, it defies belief yeah. that it is. I mean, I, I was long. I was going to say we could probably argue that we could slip it into you know top five games of the year list if we feel like it. Well, you know what? I would not be uh, you know I wouldn't you would argue against that. Not be adverse to that idea. Exactly. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Exactly. So yeah, like you said, I think um, you, Pikmin Three is a game. I was going to say Metroid, but I th- Metroid Prime. Sorry, but I think you're very you're very aware of what Metroid Prime is, and you've seen Let's Plays, and you've even played brief periods of both one and two. Now, uh, I think you've got more of an idea of what that game is, and I'm not going to bet my money that it's something that will necessarily click with you. So I'm not going to say like 
that's on your list. But I would definitely get wholeheartedly behind Pikmin 3 because you've not played the Pikmin game. I think I, I think you've never sort of delved into what Pikmin's all about. And I just think Pikmin 3 is such a clean, crisp, enjoyable version of Pikmin on the Wii U. And it's just a great game if you've not played it before to try Nintendo's take on a real-time strategy game and I think it's pretty cool so I'm intrigued to see what you think of that when you finally get around to playing it well once all this fire emblems out of the way I might <laughs> have some time but we'll see <laughs> so uh, we'll much fire drowning in fire emblem drowning right. in it the next question is from Sanjit he's from the UK dear Jar Jar and Binks as you both know, I've taken an unhealthy interest in MBZ's moderately decent YouTube channel for a number of years now. I therefore know that you are not only big fans of Star Wars, but also the prequel trilogy. Unfortunately, I cannot go with you on this point. While the prequels did something for expanding the Star Wars universe and will always have an element of nostalgia for me, double-bladed lightsaber was like catnip to my nine-year-old self, they are overwhelmingly terrible and despite loving them as a kid, I now... I can now not make it through a sitting of them. I had a similar experience with the Star Wars Episode 1 game for PlayStation 1. As a kid, it was a grand and epic adventure. Now it is a pixely mess with, a ter- with terrible jump-, jump controls, an awful cam- camera angle, and a frustrating combat system. So my question to you is this. What game did you used to love as a kid, but have come to realize as an adult, as an adult, sorry, all nostalgia aside, was embarrassingly terrible? Your sincere, sincerely, Sanjit the idiot. P.S. MBZ's hair is lacking in artistic direction at the moment. I think he needs to shave it all off and start fresh. You know why my hair's so big, Bali? It's why is because your hair so big? it's because when you're a child uh, of Indian descent, uh, you usually go through this process called a mundan when you're younger. Which is right. your Oh, you've hair. told me this in the past before, yeah. actually. Your yeah. hair all gets shaved off when you're like maybe one years old or one and a half or something. And mm. the idea behind it is by doing that, the hair that grows back will be way thicker and richer and will last for like a much longer time. Okay. Uh, so I think that if I shave off and start fresh, Did... it may be catastrophic. And that wasn't... My hair may take over the world, Bally. You didn't have that when you were one. No, no, exactly. no! I did have that when I was you one. Did have it? Yes, it, I, you I do had have it quite thick hair, don't you? Exactly. Yeah. My sister had it done to her as well. We're oh, both really? we were full of thick hair. Oh. Yeah, exactly. It's go. a tradition, and it was done to me. So hmm. that's what I'm saying. If it happens again, the apocalypse may come, Bally. My hair may just become uncontrollable. Um, so <laughs> I wouldn't say that Sanjeet should push it there. Uh, on that nose um but uh yeah let's get to the the question itself it's funny he brings up the star wars episode one game on ps1 that was like a game of our childhood like, right it was huge. I, I played that game all the time i remember like everyone being around at my house at birthdays and stuff and um we'd look up the cheat codes for it and put those in and just like give ourselves invincible health go to the last level just like bust our way through and like you look at it now and oh my god what a what a catastrophe (laughs) of a game it's terrible it not only does it look awful but it plays like garbage like Mm. the camera angle stuff he was saying is absolutely on point it's like this weird pseudo mgs1 like kind of isometric but not like in the same way it's it's terrible um so 
Yeah, that's uh, that. I can agree with him on that one. Um, I, I say another one is the Rugrats game. I can't remember what it was called, but on PS One oh, there was this Rugrats I game. I remember coming to your house and you were stuck on this boss. Yeah, and, you, and I and I played as like the giant reptar mm-hmm. Godzilla esque robot, and I had to like beat up on this big snail. And I don't actually think I did it, but I almost did it. And just we got by so almost, close so many times. Just by almost being able to do it, you were like, whoa, you're so good at this. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can, I can button, button mash. Yeah. No, the, that whole thing was just this, like, deluge of mini games and weird park attractions. And I really loved it back then. Based on the Rugrats from Paris. Yes, exactly, exactly. And um, the Eiffel Tower was in there. It was all weird and crazy. Um, but yeah, you go back to that now, and oh my god, it's terrible. It's just not good at all. So that that's one. Uh, Bally, do you have a pick here? Ugh, a game I enjoyed at the time, but when you go back, is like tough to play. You know, you're gonna hate this answer, but my cousin was around like I don't know last year, maybe a year and a half ago, and he's just he's just still absolutely obsessed by Pokemon. Um, and he was fascinated by my N64, so I had to show him all my Pokemon games. And we were playing Pokemon Stadium with each other, and I don't know, I it 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 didn't hold up as well as I don't, remember. Don't say it, Bali. Don't say it. <laughs> it was just kind of like because you know, with the, when you're playing someone locally with that game, yes. and you're not linking up with. Um, linking up with the Game Boy games, you're you're renting Pokemon temporarily to fight right. them against your opponent and it's this awkward thing where you have to one of us walks out of the room while the other one picks and then we come <laughs> back and oh I hear my six guys are all secret and Oh god. It's cool but I dunno it was a very light experience. It was an experience light. that was predicated on ownership of the real Pokemon games. Like, you had... To get the most out of that game, you had to own blue or red or gold or silver or whatever. Like, yeah. you absolutely were not going to have the best time if you were just renting Pokemon constantly because most of the time they were just terrible and the yeah. set sucked and everything was really bad. So if you wanted to try and go through, like, the single-player gyms and everything, you'd have a really tough time. And... Um, and to be fair to those games, they were very good where at you could put in gold, silver, red, blue, crystal, yellow, whatever, put it in, get the Pokemon on there, like you can save them, take the cart out, your friend can then get their cart, put their team in, so you can actually save up all the teams and just pick the team straight away to go against each other. Like so all that stuff is good. So I'm not gonna try and say Pokemon Stadium is anything like aged as badly as star wars episode one the phantom menace no of it's course not. not it holds up well it's totally something we we could have a fun time with um i just was a bit like oh wow this is uh, and it's not quite how you thing. remember it <laughs> yeah maybe it's because my cousin he's never gotten into you know the meta game like we obviously used to and maybe that was part of it where i was just kicking his ass because i just knew more about pokemon than right him. and maybe that's hurt it a bit but i don't know I, I there's not many other games i can really think of that i've played i mean obviously the classic tarzan on gamecube that's not mm. that's not exactly a fun game to go back no. to but um i've not i've never really tried that uh but i'm sure there's others but nothing nothing to the same degree i think as star wars episode one kind of jumping off your pokemon stadium thing uh this kind of ties in with how giant bomb have revealed to me over this past couple of years 
that mini game collections and mini game things that yes. we used to love oh my God. Good are shout. nowhere near as good. good. Uh, part of that was recently on Unprofessional Fridays, Dan Reichert was like, "Hey guys, let's play the Pokemon Stadium mini games." And I was like, "Oh yeah, those are really fun. I remember those being great." And then I watched them play them, and I was like jesus these are terrible <laughs> like they're so uh, fucking bad i would argue the ones in pokemon stadium 2 are way 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 better than one no you say that but like personally. dan came back the week after with stadium 2 to be like these are better guys and they were just as bad like they just really? weren't yeah they were not anywhere close no. to what i remember being uh you know amazing but, and, but i mean in terms of mini games you're right and obviously giant bomb with their mario party party series yes mario party is a great shout for this question because when we were young mario party was up on a pedestal higher than you know mario kart higher than super smash brothers yeah it it really was higher than those games for a long time it was like the multiplayer game we played the most exactly because our stupid little minds couldn't couldn't get into something that was heavier than you know mini game collections as sad as that sounds so I, i i think and even watching Giant Bomb's party, Mario Party Party, you do realize those games are just so terribly broken. They're incredibly luck-based. They are, like, the animations are horrible. Like, it, it's just, ugh. Just, like, the mechanics and the controls are just terrible. Like, they are made by Hudson, right? And they're not, like, yeah. internal Nintendo-developed products. And as such, like, from a fluidity standpoint, it just feels like garbage. Like... You play a real Mario game and then you play Mario Party and it's like the controls are just god awful. It's yes. just horrific, really. It really is and Mario Party might do well on the nostalgia list for us, but it's, it would, it's yeah. not it, it, it gets nowhere up. close to our top 50 games of all time, no. I'll tell you that. Oh no. Oh no. But yeah. um, good question, Sanji. We always we always love reminiscing about and i would like to past. call out sanjeet for his wittertainment reference uh, at it's the start of his email reference. so very good wink and a nod a wink and a nod to those few people who know what you're talking about exactly anyway, <laughs> so our final question uh this week is from ben who's got a couple of emails but we're going to do two in one Hey guys, so I have a bit of a problem. I recently added up all of my games in my backlog and the total time it would take to beat them all is a staggering 88 days and 13 hours. Pretty crazy. So I was wondering, how long do you think your backlogs will take to beat and how confident are you that they will get beaten? How about we answer that question before his second part? Oh boy, how confident am I that they'll get beaten? Not confident at all? Can we just say your backlog is about 10 times the size of mine? Yes, it is. Yes. Uh, oh, God. So when I really break it down, like the amount of games I actually own, because of stuff on Steam, it just becomes absurd. And it gets to this point where there are so many things I have on Steam that I have deliberately hidden from my library because I know that I'm never going to play them. There's just stuff I'm not interested in. And, you know, given infinite time, I'd probably try them. But... I don't have that luxury. And as a result, I have decided, you know, I'll try and get through these things that I've allocated here are things that I want to play. Um, and that's the sort of stuff where I will definitely get through the stuff that I care about and that I'm interested in. But it'll take a long time. And by that time, you know, new things come out and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger because sales happen. It's a self-perpetuating cycle. And 
at this point, I'm just not confident that it will ever be finished. It's just, it's not feasible these days. Um, so yeah, I, I'd, I'd like to actually add things up and, and see, but I'm kind of scared to do that, to be quite honest, because when you see something like 88 days and 13 hours, that's intimidating, and I'm pretty sure mine is kind of close to that, so... I'm actually in quite a confident position right now. If you'd asked me this question when we started the podcast, you know, almost three years ago now... Jeez, don't tell me that. That's a long time now. <laughs> three years ago, can you believe... I would have been like, no, there's no way I'm ever going to, you know, play all of those uh, ambassador games that you get on the three on the three DS. Um, all of you know, other Wii games, Wii U games I bought, Game Boy Advance games, DS games, whatever. I would have been like, nope, I'm never going to play all of them. Um, that's just futile. Uh, I I didn't believe in backloggery back then. Um, now you're now, being converted. <laughs> exactly. But now, and I've been like this for a few months now maybe probably a bit longer than that i feel like i do have a manageable number of games even if you count you know that horrendous um uh humble bundle that completely knocked me off my my i was on the fight i was on the home stretch of my backlog and then it just completely added on an extra three laps uh but they're great games and on the the humble bundle i should say and i will defeat my backlog i think Bearing in mind, you're right, um, 2016 is going to be quite sparse for games. I mean, I've just bought, you know, Fates and Star Fox Zero. That's like Nintendo's two biggest games this year by some way, unless you obviously count Pokemon and maybe something like Kirby Robobot, which I believe is out like next month. So once you've, once you've got those four games, there's really not too much. So and I'm not, I'm, I probably, I don't know if I'll pick up Kirby and I'll probably pick up Pokemon or who knows, I might get both of them, but otherwise i've got a lot of time uh summer's coming up there's a lot more time off work and stuff like that where i'm keen to you know play a few more games and i think it's doable i think my backlog it's roughly about 24 to 26 games at the moment i think start of 2017 i could have it down to as low as hmm like 14 games 10 games I could say potentially and maybe that's not including you know some N64 games that I am eventually going to go back to um, because there are some GameCube games I'd like to try and tackle first but I'd love to get us around that position uh, by the end of the year and I think it's doable yes I agree your uh, your uh, Nintendo only loyalty has served you well in this scenario it has worked out well it has worked out well because I do have a lot to play um, and they're great quality games, and I, I accept I'm missing out on some stuff, but I think it's a uh, for the for the amount of money I'm putting in, it's quite a good deal I'm getting back. Absolutely. So we go to the his second part. Of yes. His so this is his second email. I love listening to podcasts while playing games, and I know you guys love your podcasts, so I would love to hear your recommendations. So MBZ and Bally, which podcasts do you recommend? I already listened to RFN, Giant Bomb, and of course, you guys. Thanks, Ben. I guess the, the Holy Trinity. That is a, that is a trilogy of uh, almighty uh, godliness, I, I will say. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're there. We're part of the Triforce of uh, power in the podcast world. <laughs> um, we've answered stuff like that this before, Bally, but yes. you know, times change, Time times has, move. Time we're always moved. listening to different podcasts here and there. They come and go. Um, so yeah, let's shout some out. Is, is there uh, something that you want to pick here? 
Uh, let's start on video games in Nintendo. Um, obviously, the ones you've picked, RFN Giant Bomb, and ourselves, are fantastic podcasts. Sticking with Giant Bomb, Giant Bomb East, the Beast Cast, it's called. Yes. It is fantastic. It is. It's not quite as great as I'd say the West Coast one, in my opinion, uh, for a number of reasons. But in general, it's it's very different. It's very distinct, and I think. For me personally, Vinny Caravella is one of the most hilarious men on the planet. <laughs> and if obviously he used to be with Giant Bomb West, but he's really captured like what he's good at and being hilarious um, over on the East Coast uh, with um, oh my god, names names Austin, names, Austin Alex, Walker, Jeff Bacalar, and Jeff Bacalar and Alex Navarro. The four of them have a really great. Uh, um, Chemistry. Chem- chemistry on the mics and it's very distinct like i said from west coast but it's still very giant bomb and it's very vinny and i love it i think it's great i'd highly recommend that that's a very good pick um for me very recently uh obviously the closure of game trailers was a big deal um, but they came back as easy allies and before that happened like I was really into uh, GT Time, which was the Game Trailers News Focus podcast, which is like hosted by Kyle Bossman. It's like an hour, hour 15 long, like really bite-sized. He's such a great host because he's always, he always moves around different members, make sure everyone's talking, getting their opinion shared, always asking questions. Like he has great timing on everything. He's just, his show uh, on his own is fantastic. At uh, the moment, he's doing one called uh, Bossman at Home, which is the spiritual successor to the final Bossman, which was uh, his GT show. Um, but uh, their new podcast, the Easy Allies podcast, is really, really good. It's uh, news-focused, of course, um, as I said, but uh, they have like lots of fun stuff they do uh, as part of the show. They have like Giant Beast cast. They do a correction segment. They do that at the start of every show. Like it's, They have these distinct segments that feel like you always want to return to them i think it's one of the reasons why colin moriarty and greg miller got so big with beyond was beyond felt like this podcast that was very regular in terms of its structure there was all these little mini segments and jingles and things that went along with them that made it feel like its own cohesive package and i think the beast cast has some of that and i think that also uh, the easy allies podcast has that and one of the fun things they do is at the end of every episode they make a bet and they have the, the running tally as the episodes go on. And so uh, by the end of like however long, like the year or whatever, they tot it up and see who won over the, over the course of the year. Uh, yeah. But it's always really fun to follow that stuff because it's like, okay, next week, uh, if, I, if I check like the top 10 reviews of Ratchet and Clank, how many times will the word movie be said like in the review because the movie's coming out? And so they all bet on that and, and uh, see w- uh, what their predictions are. And then the week after they find out and give each other points. It's just a really fun like end show thing that i think more people should do and uh those guys are great and they have a rotating cast because there's like nine of them um really smart people they talk great stuff about nintendo generally they're very well informed on handheld stuff on nintendo stuff generally on japanese rpgs and like they really are a good listen if you like nintendo but also want to multi-format podcast um so i will give those guys hell of a shout out listen to them another quick shout out for a nintendo podcast is nintendo voice chat right um, yeah you didn't mention that on this so list, but... it's um jose otero at ign it's the ign nintendo podcast uh they are really great for staying on top of nintendo news and actually listening a big criticism that 
we've both made clear on this show a number of times is that when you start to, when you get uh, commentators who, and journalists who start talking about cross platforms, there are very few who have a who have a really in depth knowledge of Nintendo, and it's often something that is skirted over, or they used to love Nintendo, but now they don't know much about Nintendo at all and I'm not going to name names but there are lots of people out there yes. who just are quite frustrating to listen to because they just don't follow Nintendo but they have a lot to say about Nintendo and it's quite frustrating and these guys um, Jose Otero, Per Schneider um, Brian Altano Brian Altano they are all incredibly knowledgeable knowledgeable about Nintendo I would criticise them occasionally that they can sometimes go off on one on a topic that I just don't care about. They used to be very into Amiibo. Um, I know. Mm, yeah. I know there will be listeners right now who will be very keen on Amiibo and will be keen to listen to that. But they went off a bit on that. But in general, they're just really great at talking about the stuff that matters and being knowledgeable knowledgeable about Nintendo. A great weekly podcast, great production quality, um, and I'd highly recommend that. Yeah, and then I've got a couple of other quick hits. There's a second Easy Allies podcast, which is called Frame Trap, which is kind of their version of the Bombcast. It's a much longer, like, two, two and a half hour show where they talk about what they've been playing and everything. Uh, That's fun. Also, very recently, Danny O'Dwyer of GameSpot fame uh, has started a podcast with two of his friends from Ireland called A Tournament of Lies. It's really great. So this podcast called A Tournament of Lies... Basically, they get people to send in a list of, like, three video games from all time, all history, whatever, just send in three video games. And every week they go through, like, a few of these lists, and they are basically ordering every video game of all time in history in, like, quality order. Like, like a massive, basically, instead of, like, a top 100, it's, like, just the top of everything. Every game ever, and they're just ranking them. Um, And it's really fun to listen to, and uh, they have this thing called the Purgatory of Lies, which is if neither of them or none of them have played a game, they put, like, a game into the bin, and then they'll have to go and play that the next week and then come back and report and then decide where it goes in their rankings. Um, that's a really fun show that's just this weird idea of let's just rank every game ever because that's a fun stupid thing to do um so yeah if, if you've not heard of that he's uh doing that like independent of GameSpot. that's just him on his own doing his own thing and uh i think it's real fun so shall, shall we drop a couple of podcasts that we both listen to that are non-gaming Sure. So I, I, I should say, I listen to a lot of politics podcasts, sports podcasts to do with football and running and uh, all sorts. I won't get into those because I'm sure not many people are too interested in those. Or if you are, tweet at me and I can let you know. But me and MBZ, we're both keen. I was going to mention Cast of Kings. Yes. So if you're into Game of Thrones, and especially for someone like me who's not read the books, so... My knowledge of Game of Thrones is relatively shallow, but I'd say it's far more enhanced than the majority of purely show watchers as a result of mainly this podcast. And obviously speaking to you, MB said. Yes. But but basically, Game of Thrones is complicated. And if you're someone like me who's not read them, but you're really keen on, like, you know, the lore and finding out what on earth is going on, Cast of Kings comes out every week after the most recent episode and they do a rundown of the entire episode and say like what on earth was happening where it's going to lead to they have theories and it's really great because one of the hosts um can you help me with some names mbz 
Dave Chan and Joanna Robinson. Dave Chen and Joanna Robinson. They have a great dynamic because Dave Chen has not read the books, bar one. He's, he's read the first one now. Yes. But Dave Chen's not read the books and Julia Rob... Rob- <laughs> no, not Julia Roberts. Julia Roberts. <laughs> Joanna Robinson. Joanna Robinson, same thing. She's, she's like, you know, read all of them and she writes blog posts about everything and she's just an absolute knowledge of Game of Thrones. And they, a savant, one might a say. A savant. And they just work off each other very nicely where Dave Chen will kind of poke theories at Joanna and she'll be like, nope, can't comment. Oh, oh, oh. And it's just, it's quite good. And it's a really great way of having having a step up on your friends who have watched Game of Thrones and actually knowing a bit more than them. It's quite good fun for that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I think one of our other loves of Star Wars has recently got us digging into the Star Wars podcast scene. Uh, And we both are listening to a podcast called Full of Sith, which is a great name for a podcast, first of all. That's just, like, really great. Um, But uh, it's uh, a show where they just talk about Star Wars things every week. If you thought we like Star Wars... (laughs) Oh boy! We are, we are one of the hosts of this show saw episode one seventy something times when it came out, and yes. most of these people saw Force Awakens like over twenty times in the cinema. They're 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 fanatics, all right? Yeah. They're just like crazy. One of them called his son Anakin. Yes, exactly. Yes. Like, um, they're, and they're all the thing I really love about them is. Like, after The Force Awakens, Bally and I just listened to a bunch of shows, a bunch of people and podcasts talking about Star Wars, and everyone was, like, super, like, let's have a dig at the prequels here, let's just, like, say something negative about them. Uh, And this is the one show where you come to and, like, no, we're not going to, like, have a space where we're negative about that stuff. We all, like, enjoy the prequels, we're not going to, like, demean people for not enjoying them and having it be something, like, that's derogatory, uh, which I really like. It's a space where, like, all Star Wars love is Star Wars love and they have a great really phrase on the show about you know people down talking the prequels and they say you know just because you don't like the mashed potatoes doesn't mean you have to stick your finger in the mashed potatoes <laughs> and ruin it for everyone else <laughs> and that's not such a great saying as to like people who you know hate the prequels and they yeah. start shouting about how terrible the prequels are and people who like them can feel a bit like oh why are you hating them so much but anyway yeah, that's a great one one final one I do want to mention, which is just coming back, and you reminded me of it, MBZ, just the I last did. week, and that's Invisibilia. Um, it's similar, but better and different to This American Life, which is obviously is a very famous podcast. It's um, the podcast, this podcast named after. Yes. <laughs> hint, <this amazing>. hint. <laughs> Don't tell anyone. But it's documentary style, but the, I forgot the name of the woman who were on it. Uh, neither, I don't remember either. Uh, they're they're real smart. They've, they've, they're really smart. They've got great chemistry, great editing of that audio, really incredible. Oh, and, yeah, that's, that stuff is amazing. I mean, I'm not going to go into specifics of previous stories, but it's just really interesting. It's only like an hour long. It's just coming back this summer. I think the first episode for the second season they're on now is coming out later in June, I want to say. Yeah. Um, so but yeah, as, as far as like documentary-style podcasting goes, it's, it's the best out there, I feel. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I do love This American Life a lot, but it's very hit and miss at times. Um, and compared to this, I think this is a far more consistently good, informative show. 
So, yeah, hopefully that's a nice rundown of the podcast. I've got so many more to talk about. If you d- do want to tweet at me, I can recommend Let's some. give it another, but like, 6 to 12 months. We'll and give we'll it return. 6 to 12 months, <laughs> and then, Ben, if you want to write in again, we'll happily tackle it one more time. Exactly. Um, but that is all we've got time for in terms of emails this week on the show. But I'll plug that email account one more time. That's This American... This American Life. Oh, Look God, what I did. No, Look no. what I did. Look what I did. <laughs> <laughs> oh, We're dear. talking about This American Life and it goes off the rails. So yeah, that's this Nintendo Life at gmail.com. That is this Nintendo Life at gmail.com. Please send us in more emails. That's the end of the segment. Catch us after this musical interlude for the third and final segment. <laughs> Right, everyone, welcome back to the show for our third and final segment. And, uh, you know, it's the lead up to E3. Um, Nintendo obviously not going to have a great presence there, but what they are going to do is a big chunk of Legend of Zelda for the Wii U slash NX. Of course, it will be the Wii U version they're showing off, um, and we'll, we can only imagine what the NX one looks like. But uh, I thought it would be interesting for Bally and I to go back and look at the last time Nintendo really showed off a brand new Zelda at E3. Um, now, the Skyward Sword, it was in 2010 when that happened. Uh, they had beforehand put out that artwork. Do you remember that artwork, Bally, with uh, Link with kind of uh, his back facing yes. uh, the portrait? And he's kind of like looking over his shoulder. And then uh, behind him, he doesn't have a sword, but you see kind of the image of Fee. And uh, Yeah, and everyone at the time, I remember thinking it was something Link to like Zora yeah there were lots of theories going around loads of theories loads of theories but yeah so uh, of course it's, uh, I feel a similar situation because we've been teased on this Zelda we know very little about it um, it's not like the minimalist amount of you know tiny bit of artwork because we have had footage um, but uh, yeah I, th- I feel like it's a very analogous situation uh, so Bally and I went back and watched E3 2010 uh, which to my recollection was one of their strongest E3s you know before watching this back uh, I remember it being the one where they announced you know donkey kong returns and kirby's epic yarn and a bunch of cool stuff with 3ds was happening um and i i remember the skyward sword stuff being a bit of uh you know a bit of a clusterfuck but oh boy we went back and watched this well <laughs> oh boy. things things were uh interesting so let's get into it then bally uh we should shall, also shall we also mention that uh we both narrated over the top of this entire press conference and everyone can find that on your channel mbz yes i don't know if we uh, mentioned it at the top of the show but if we didn't here it is uh, go to our twitter account at tnl podcast there will be a link there to the commentary of us speaking over this e3 press conference and then you can relive it with us but i thought we'd like break it down a bit more here go a bit more in depth um Bally, how do you feel about their presentation with uh, Skyward Sword, the trailer that preceded it, and everything that happened on stage? And do you think that there is uh, some cause for concern, perhaps, with the new Zelda, if it were to follow in the footsteps of what happened here? 
Uh, I think there definitely would be concern if they tried to mirror what they did here. I think the trailer was kind of cool. Like, it was all the different uh, icons from different Zelda games, 3D Zelda games beforehand, sort of in a kind of interesting mix in this trailer. Uh, And then obviously they reveal Skyward Sword. Uh, They seem to just dwell and dwell and dwell on the new gameplay mechanics which is obviously the motion control with the sword um and i don't blame them for wanting to show that off because that is a really cool thing that obviously skyward sword is unique for uh the downside is that it just kind of falls incredibly flat because it it became a uh a demo showing off all these crazy weapons that all use the motion controls and on it's almost like even if they it had gone smoothly and worked in terms of the motion controls i think it still would have felt quite slow and flat it was just really long i'd say it was about 15 to 20 minutes long and they're walking around this one area uh, like i said using the different weapons and it wasn't great. It just wasn't great. The crowd, you could tell, were interested, but not maybe as excited as you would hope. And maybe there should have been a more punchy trailer to launch it with. Um, it was just weird. Yeah, it was very much a kind of boring presentation of this game, which should be incredibly exciting because it's a brand new Zelda. I think maybe the trap that they fell into was... Every time with a new Zelda game, there's always, you know, your starting area is always some kind of foresty, you know, wooded place. And I think from that perspective, like, it wasn't very aesthetically dynamic and pleasing. Mm. And as a result, like, you kind of disengage from that because these environments don't seem fresh or new or interesting. Um, And, you know, the focus then gets placed on the mechanics. And the problem is they had so many wireless problems with the Wii remote and all the stuff in the room um, that showing off the mechanics was a terrible affair and it messed up more times than it worked. So as a result, like you have no kind of great backdrop to entice you. You're 100% focused on the mechanics and the mechanics are really falling flat, which makes for um, the focus just being taken away completely. Um, and and you just disengaging from it, I think. And like when we were talking over this, we were just not really listening to anything they were saying. We're kind of having our own conversation about the existential, you know, nature of uh, Zelda being shown off and everything, and how they can improve on it, um, all that stuff. Do you think that that is a trap that could potentially? happen at e3 this year say that their demo is always 100 percent focused on the outdoors we know it's hyrule field we know it's these grassy plains and that there's not enough kind of aesthetically pleasing or, or dynamic about it to get people's interest yeah i mean i'm i would gamble that i think that the control scheme for this new zelda isn't going to be unbelievably different i think in the same way that skyward sword was so i'm hoping they'll spend less time talking about interesting weapons and the controls and more on the world and so far that is how they've been selling this game the most is about the world and that is exciting in and of itself but you're right it'd be it'd be almost naive for them to just run around Hyrule Field and do something like that. It'd be cool if they teleport between a few destinations and say, this is how this works, this is how this works. Oh, here's the 
there will obviously be a couple of unique mechanics you'd hope for this Zelda. We can already know that there's, you know, the bow and, you know, vaulting off the horse. That's one area we know that they probably will focus on. Uh, but hopefully that's part of, you know, a a wealth of different ideas that they've put in this game that they can show off and it's not just it's not so weapons and controls focused as this demo was with Skyward Sword would you then because I feel like I would want them to maybe focus more on the openness of the world and the secret areas that you can find in the way it's designed then as opposed to hey here are six different weapons that we've created yes and then, like, I think that also the big problem with Skyward Sword as well was they showed off all these weapons, and they were all the weapons you got in every dungeon. And so mm. by the time you got to the game itself, it wasn't really surprising. Like, you knew that the whip was going to be in there. You knew that they had this beetle item. Like, all those reveals were kind of done already, which led to the sense of, like, you lose that um, wonder that happens in Twilight Princess when you find, you know, the ball and chain or the spinner or whatever, or this crazy new thing. Um, do you think, like... Because I feel that with Link Between Worlds and the way they did it all out of order, the weapons themselves were never really that interesting or cool no. or fresh. Um, and I'm worried maybe that this new Zelda f- will fall into that trap again and we won't get anything as dynamic as the spinner or the ball and chain, which underutilized as they were, they were cool ideas. I, I, I mean, I, 3D Zelda has always been reached out more when it comes to in, interesting weapons. And right. I, I don't see this one as being different from that. I, I'm, I'm confident there will be some interesting weapons that are different and new. Um, obviously not as many as Skyward Sword, and they will definitely be keen to demo how those work. I just think this this game needs to have an engaging world and story more so than the weapons uniquely, I would say. I, I It needs that Twilight Princess trailer to open with. I really hope they have a cinematic trailer that's well edited, great music, and it just builds that hype that you need for a Zelda game. Um, and this 2010 showing of Skyward Sword really lacked that. Um, and I... Who knows what this story is going to be like and all the characters in it. But I just hope that we just get a nice taste of what's to come with this game. Because obviously it's going to be a huge long story, uh, a huge open world like they've said so many times. And there has to be an incredible trailer you can make from that. You would hope so. Um, I, I am kind of curious like how in-depth is this going to be? Are we going to see dungeons? Are we going to like go and, and see a bunch of that stuff? Because with skyward sword there wasn't any uh look at that and i think you can contrast that to twilight princess where a bunch of their demos were based on the goron mines which was a really cool area and something kind of different uh when they showed it off uh at that e3 um would you prefer the skyward sword route of no dungeons stuff being shown or do you think that they should go in into detail uh with how that stuff is built into the world I'm I'm prepared for them to show as much roughly as they showed with um, Twilight Princess. If they want okay. to demo as much as that that demo might have spoiled Goron Mines, I'm I'm prepared to just accept that you know they've got to show a dungeon and how what's unique about these dungeons compared to another Zelda game. Um, I'm gonna bet that there's this might be the most dungeons for any Zelda ever. Who knows? We'll we'll find out, but. I'm just going to say, like, 
there's more dungeons than just what they show and just just trust them and say right fair enough you're going to spoil one you're going to keep my excitement up until it comes out next year but don't reveal everything just keep a bit back and i, d- I do think they did that with twilight princess because obviously there's so mu- many dungeons and experiences in that game that weren't demoed that ultimately became um famous parts of that game like the spinner absolutely um, well, I, I'm sure the press will get a lot of time with it because uh, reports going around that Nintendo have asked them to put aside at least an hour to an hour and a half uh, for that Zelda demo. So there's going to be some meat to it for sure. And I would um, bet that there's sort of three half hour areas rather than, you know, one. Right. So they so they thing. kind of have multiple different demos as yeah. opposed to yeah doing different things. One will be very does... much an outdoorsy exploration. One will be in a dungeon, and one will be something else. I'd gamble yeah. that. Yeah, I would say that gets a bit risky if people are kind of running around freely in the world and discovering things that they don't want to be seen. Yeah, maybe, um, and maybe. stuff like that. Um, we'll we'll find out. But I, I do think re- reflecting back on 2010 and on Skyward Sword. I think that, you know, to correct some of those mistakes, you definitely want to have multiple people, like, discussing the game as opposed to being the person playing. I don't think, like, that on-stage format of Miyamoto talking and playing at the same time while he tries to do it, while Bill translates. Like, I feel if you have Anuma Miyamoto sitting down discussing while, say, a member of the Treehouse plays at the same time, that would probably be an ideal format. And they've definitely done that um before in the last couple of e3s i believe where they've sort of come and joined them on the couch and they start talking and then like you said someone from the treehouse is playing um i mean in my opinion i wouldn't even have someone playing it live just in case stuff happens and like mistakes are made uh but they've already gone down the path of oh we're gonna do live it's gonna be live it's gonna be a live stream you're gonna love it blah 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 so they're obviously gonna do that now but it's just i'm scared that something will go wrong and seeing as this is the whole thing that nintendo are doing at e3 for 2016 if there's any mistakes, it's going to be their headline and their only headline. And that's quite exactly. a scary position to be in. Perhaps, but I don't know. They, they seem very confident in it. The fact that it's the only thing there, it's an extremely extended uh, long demo and they're just highlighting it 100%. You have hopes, Bally, that they would you know, actually be very confident this is a good game. And I'm, I'm pretty confident that it will because they're good at the Zelda making uh, generally. Uh, so let's talk maybe a bit more about uh, the rest of this 2010 press conference, which I thought the second half was very strong. Like, they had a lot of unveilings, a lot of game announcements that were for the core fan, that were for the person who had stuck with the Wii a long time and who kind of near the end of its life cycle were, you know, reaping some rewards. So we had stuff like Donkey Kong Country Returns. We had um, Kirby's Epic Yarn. We had Golden Sun Dark Dawn. We had GoldenEye Wii. Um, a bunch of those things um, that's like really feels like one of those unique years where they had like stuff for handheld stuff for console and you know even third party stuff thrown in there with with GoldenEye um, I feel like I hope in the future Nintendo can get back to stuff like that you know yeah and once you start throwing around terms like handheld and console we just kind of have to wait until what on earth this right. NX is going to be. But you're right. It's, it, it covered all their bases. And even within that, you know, 
if you're talking 2D platformers, they've got a very cutesy, easy, simple 2D platformer with Kirby, but at the same time, they got quite a difficult, challenging um, 2D platformer with Donkey Kong. And they really tried to appeal to different groups and accepted that, yes, if you've owned a Wii and you're still buying games, we're going to reward you. And that's a cool thing to do. But obviously, the Wii's install base was um, pretty hefty at that point in time. Yeah, it was. I mean, we could tell by the fact that they had Just Dance announced at that press conference, which was an exclusive game on Wii, I think it was Just Dance 2, um, and some some other stuff which was very much in line with, hey, this touch generations, you know, Blue Ocean market that uh, they were appealing to, like Wii Party, um, which just, God, who whoever wants to play Wii Party? I don't know. Maybe someone. I'd, I'd be interested in trying it one day, just as an off chance, but... Um, Weird stuff like that was definitely still happening as they attempted to keep pushing into that crowd and that, that group of people. Um, I think the big thing, though, Bali, is the unveiling of the 3DS because mm. uh, at that point in time, we had no idea what it looked like. And Iwata um, comes on stage and holds it up and uh, very staccato-like says, this is Nintendo 3DS, and uh, holds uh, the system up. And I remember... It was weird because 2010 was a time I was leaving school and I was doing a bunch of things and I was kind of a little bit disengaged from what was happening around the summer. And uh, Nintendo's press conference was on one day. I was I was back from school and uh, I, I realized it like halfway through. And, and the point in time in which I turned on this press conference was the moment right before Iwata walks out on stage with the 3DS. Mm. So I'm I pretty clearly remember like walking into my parents' bedroom, like grabbing a laptop and and watching the rest of the press conference from that point in time. Uh, and it was really really exciting because. The promise of 3D, which at that point, you know, post-2009, post-Avatar, was such a huge thing. And the, the promise of it without glasses was astonishing. Like, I couldn't understand how it was possible and how it could be done. Um, and I thought, like, generally, they handled the reveal relatively well. There wasn't a lot of software to show. They had a Kid Icarus trailer. Um, but, yeah, I think as far as, like, this is our new piece of hardware, they did a decent job of it. You, you know what everyone loves? What, Bally? Booth babes. Booth babes. Or all booth of them. Like, millions I wouldn't call of them, them booth babes, though. I would call them, like, prisoners. <laughs> you know? I'd call them women attached to pieces of hardware that then become these weird accessories to the hardware and are trotted out as everyone like it's like they locked everyone in the room was like no you're not leaving you're going to try this system that is attached to this uh attractive lady and um this will then influence your thoughts on the 3ds because we attached it to this attractive woman do you think that when anyone bought a 3ds you know like game or gamestop whatever they sort of bought their 3ds and it's like ah where's my where's my lady that comes with this 3ds what's going on some more uh, sexist parts of America, I would assume. Uh, you know, some people uh, may, but you know, let's not let's not judge here because uh, that's not what we uh, are looking to do. But yeah, that w- it was a weird ending, wasn't it? Because they're like, there is only one way for you to experience this, and it's to play the thing itself. So it did make sense from that perspective. I just think the way it was handled was maybe a little it felt, misguided. It felt a little bit 
culty and religious. It was yeah. sort of like, here we are on the stage, now go and spread the word of God. Yeah. And it was kind of, <laughs> and this is, this is how you will do it, and go forth, and you know, it was... Here are all our 3DSs. Go and go and try it out. It was it was yeah. crazy, but I mean, hey, if it grabbed a headline and sold them some 3DSs, is 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 it that big of a deal? Uh, well, who knows? But uh, <laughs> I think the interesting part of the 3DS reveal was their talk of third parties, which happens all the time. They always talk a big game and then they fall flat, but. Looking at that list, all these you know U.S.-based publishers, developers, and they're like, "Oh, we're going to have this person on board and the this company, and they're going to make this game." And you know, it comes up with like THQ, you know, who obviously don't exist anymore, uh, with Saints Row, and it was like uh, the the audience laughed at that. I'm not sure why that was. It was THQ was a laughing stock or something at that point in time, who but knows? Uh, it's it's interesting to laugh at it now because like there was no saints row game on 3ds you know they never did anything with that um i think a lot of these partnerships just fell through you have that whole idea of movies 3d movies like they're like oh yes uh the the owl movie guardians of the fucking whatever and avatar and all these other disney's tangled and we're gonna have these on 3ds and it's like did that ever materialize i don't think so mm. um so it's interesting seeing a lot of these broken promises just trotted out uh by iwata on stage yeah, I mean, overall, it was a pretty strong showing at E3, and it was refreshing to just watch, you know, when Nintendo did E3 press conferences and actually did pretty well, and the 3DS obviously went on to get great numbers, uh, perhaps less so Skyward Sword, uh, but overall, it's kind of kind of cool. Yeah, I think the one thing I miss most about not having the press conference is just Reggie as the MC. I think Reggie is just, he's built for that stuff. He's obviously yeah. PR 101, but I think he just trots out so well. He's he's a really good speaker. He's great at getting messages across. He's just a great stage presence. And I mm. think like we have missed something by not having that man on stage. Definitely. So, uh, yeah, it's it's been fun to rewatch it. You can obviously, as we said before, uh, look on our Twitter feed and find that there and, and watch along with us. Uh, definitely some fun things to uh, laugh about um, and some good stuff as well. Um, but that is pretty much going to close out our show for this week. Um, next week is going to be our last show before E3, or next uh, show, should I say, because, of course, every two weeks this comes out. Um, so what we're shooting for, guys, is to do the show and to get it out the Friday before E3 starts. So uh, E3 begins officially on Monday the 13th. Uh, actually, you have Sunday with Bethesda and EA doing stuff. But Friday the 10th, is hopefully when we're going to shoot to get this next episode out. So before then, we want to hear from you and we want to hear your predictions for Nintendo, specifically Zelda, because there's not really much else to predict, unfortunately. Uh, but do send in all of your Zelda predictions. Get them in before Friday the 10th, uh, which is when it will go up. Or we'll probably maybe record a little earlier mm. than that. But um, uh, yeah, that's kind of a, a deadline, and we want to hear from as many people as possible what you think uh, the new Zelda is going to be, what its subtitle will be. All of your predictions, send them to our email address, Bally. Where is that? The email address is thisNintendoLife at gmail.com. That is thisNintendoLife at gmail.com. We want name ideas, weapon ideas, what they're going to show off. Um, how many dungeons are they going to be? Well, maybe that's a bit early to tell, but... 
We'll yeah, see. what's predictions, Bally? You've got to throw it out there. So, yeah, we, we will be doing a prediction segment of our own uh, before uh, E3, and uh, then you can all laugh at us as we are completely wrong uh, after the, the show. But, yeah, the plan going forward, that show on the 10th, and then as soon as we are able to record something about Zelda, yes. having watched however much of it we can do before we don't want to spoil ourselves anymore or, so... or whatever happens, um, we'll try and get that show out on the Monday uh, as as soon as we can. So it will be episode 68 a little earlier than normal, and then we're going to do an E3 special post-E3. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, look forward to that. I know there's not a lot to be excited about, but it's Zelda. Look, nothing else really matters. We're getting a new Legend of Zelda game, and we're going to see a bunch of it. Um, so it's cause for some enjoyment. It's only up from here. Guys- yeah, it only goes it only goes up from here. Look, the NX hype train is rolling over. It's it's coming. It's before the end of the year we'll know what NX is, all right? It's not E three but we for can now, understand. For now it's the hype unicycle. It is, unfortunately. The hype unicycle trots along. Hashtag uh, make sure to hype unicycle. Keep your balance, guys. It's hard unicycles are difficult. <laughs> I tried one in uh in Holland, um and they are a hell of a thing. They are uh, they do look hard. They don't quite have the same impact as a train. No. But, you know, they, they, they got a bit of impact, you know, a little bit of Absolutely. unicycle. Absolutely. Well, all uh, um, analogies aside, this is the show. Uh, we're going to see you next time. But before we go, let's plug ourselves. Bally, where can people find you on the internet? Please follow me on Twitter. I'm at Ballyman91. That's B-A-L-L-Y-M-A-N-9-1. That is also my name on the Miiverse. Um, I'm in the luxurious position where I'm actually able to post from Fire Emblem Fates onto the Miiverse using my new 3DS. So definitely check out that if you want to get all my updates on what I'm playing. Yes, unfortunately, I don't have a new 3DS, and I discovered upon going to the Miiverse, oh, hey, it's one of those where my system isn't powerful enough to post screenshots, apparently. So that's why there's no Fire Emblem things on my Miiverse. Uh, But if you're on Twitter, I'm sure you got your fair share of my Fire Emblem thoughts. Um, But yes, you can find me uh, at LordNBZ on Twitter, and same on Miiverse. You can get the show multiple places. We are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. We will eventually be on Google Podcast things when they come to our goddamn country. Um, We're on YouTube on Wednesdays, and uh, with all this E3 stuff, YouTube will probably be at the same time as as iTunes, just because of the timely nature of it and all Mm. that stuff. So, uh, yeah, uh, your platform of choice is available to you. Um, I think that is it. Uh, I guess the email one more time, this Nintendo life at gmail.com. Um, but Bali, anything to close before we get into this E3 cycle? I'm just, I'm just getting on my unicycle and cycling to LA. Let's do this. All right, let's go. Let's, uh, we'll, we'll see you guys in a, a couple of weeks time. Uh, we'll be exhausted having uh, gone across the ocean on nothing but a unicycle. Um, Hey, so. if Brad, man, uh, sorry, not Brad, if Drew managed to get to Hawaii on a horse, we can get to LA on the unicycle. Absolutely. We'll do it. It'll happen. Um, So we'll see you next time. And uh, thank you for listening as always. And uh, yeah, goodbye, everyone.
The musical interludes used on today's show were Pray to the Dark from Fire Emblem Fates, copyright Nintendo 2016, and a rock cover of Return to Corneria from Star Fox Zero, copyright Nintendo 2016. Hello everyone, Claps, and welcome. You oh fuck, I'm a tit. <laughs> Alright, ready? I thought you meant. No. God damn it. We went three, two, one oh, for class. I'm sorry. Okay, three. I knew there was something. We were <laughs> three, two, one.